I'm so glad you're here tonight. I hope you're having a fantastic week. Hope everything is going going really well for you all. Uh, where uh, everything is, um, it, it you know as well as I do that part of the enjoyment of life, part of knowing God, as we're talking about, is recognizing that part of the joy in life is the ability to be able to to laugh to be able to enjoy, to be able to take God seriously, but not take ourselves very seriously. Um, I'll tell you all this one, um, tell one on myself. I'm trying, trying like some of you are to raise two teenagers. And, um, I don't know how well this is going to go, but we're, we're giving it our best shot. So last night, um, some of you heard of a green light card. Y'all know what that is? A green light card. It's, it's like, a it's a preloaded credit card. So it's not attached to a bank account and you can't spend it unless there's preloaded money on it. So you can buy a green light card for your kids so they can actually have a card to charge stuff on, but they cannot charge anything that you don't preload so you put 20 bucks at a time on it. You can move it on there and it stops the spending when it hits zero. So. Any, if you don't know anything, uh, I don't know a lot about that. My wife's over that, so I probably don't even want to know uh, um, uh, about uh, what gets loaded onto the green light cards. But last night, um, I'm sitting in my bedroom. It's about, I don't know, about quarter to nine. My son, uh, he walks in, and he is carrying, when I tell you a wad of cash, I mean, there is a, 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 I mean, a roll of it. Like, he's got his fingers spread out, and he's carrying this cash. And he, and so... Uh, so he walks in the room and he's like waving it, like waving this cash in the air. So I look up and I'm, and, and he's 14. I'm trying to figure out how we have come up with this much money. My mind's going crazy. He says, dad, uh, he said, uh, can you get mom to put this money on my green light card? I said, how much is that? So I, he said, I don't know, it's a lot. And so I grabbed this stack and there's no, it's nothing but ones. All right. There's nothing, it's nothing but ones. So I count out and there's 42 ones. Like that's a lot. That's a, that's a wad of ones. And this is just a humbling moment. I thought about, I, I thought about this. This is kind of devotional thought. So I said, where I already know the answer. I, I like to ask questions that I already know the answer to. I said, where did this $42 come from? And he says, I have my ways. I've got my ways too. Uh, but I know exactly where the $42 comes from. And I, I'm just going to share this with you because um, the green light's actually working better because my children are allergic to bringing change back. Like if you give them a 10 to get a drink, the drink costs you 10 because they and the money disappear. You can't find them anywhere. Where's my change? Didn't have any. You spent $10 on a Gatorade. No, all of a sudden they become philanthropists and they've bought drinks for everybody they know. Like, and, and so I realized something when I got, so I'm sitting there with this $42 and his mom says, Sure, she takes the money and like now she's got the money. I don't have the money. And and but I originally gave it to him and then he kept it. And then now he's turning back in the money that I had already given him for us to give it to him again. Like, so I don't know. I really don't know whether to be mad or to reward his ingenuity. I don't know really what's go, going on with all of this. But I got to thinking about it after he left. And I'm kind of thinking through all of this. And I thought, you know really every time 
when we go to the Lord, every time we pray to him, every time that we think about the gifts that we have, what we really recognize is that everything that we have that God has originally given to us, that even when we want to give it back, that it was his already in the first place. And all we're really doing, not just monetarily, but with our minds and our lives and the way that we live, we are giving back to God what is already his. So when we're thinking about this topic this week of knowing God and what it looks like to know God. And in chapter two, understanding who are the people that know God. I think it's important for us to really think about that knowing God, certainly we talked about last week, the need for Bible study, the need for prayer. But I want to encourage you this week, as we start in to ask some of these questions, I want you, and I know a lot of you are already doing this, to intentionally find God and look for God in every moment of your life. Now, it's hard to it's hard to keep that up, but to constantly be looking for the God moments in your life, to see where he is in the in the day-to-day every activity. So as we open up, some of you have had opportunity to read uh, chapter two. We're walking through the book by J.I. Packer entitled Knowing God. And so we're going to look at a few questions that really jump off the page of that chapter. And the first question is this. Um, Does everybody have a a handout? Did you get a handout tonight? If you didn't get a handout, I have some able-bodied young men at the back that'll go. um, Anybody need one? Everybody got one tonight. It's fantastic. You need you need one need one need one Wes need one. All right, uh, need need one up up here at the front. Anybody else? Need one at the back. Anybody else? Going once. All right, um, one up here, Wes, and one. Thank you, Will. So so let's let's jump right into it and ask what is um the 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 fundamental question i i think of the chapter and that is what is the truest indicator of truly knowing god for someone that truly knows the lord what is the what is the truest indicator now we got to talk about what that's not right it's not somebody that can talk a lot about god it's not somebody that displays a knowledge it is what does it really look like in someone's life if it's someone that knows God? And, and I love this. If you've, if you've got a Bible with you tonight and you turn, it's one of the most powerful texts on what it looks like to know God and desire to know God. It's Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Um, and, and I just want to, to read these verses to you because this is what it looked like for Paul to desire to know God. He he writes in Philippians 3, 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. 
What Paul is is writing about here in, in the verses just before that, he, he gives his resume, how he was a Hebrew of he, Hebrews, and as for zeal, he had the most, and you see that in the passage. But what he's getting down to, and I think that the greatest indicator, is that once Paul really started on this knowledge of knowing God through Christ, that everything else didn't matter. He said, I consider them rubbish. Now, we don't use that term most of the time. It, we kind of think, oh, he's talking about it's trash. And that's not a bad way to understand it, but that's a very weak understanding. And what it's some, some translations you'll see that he said, I consider them manure or I consider them dung. In other words, everything else besides this desire to know Christ meant nothing to him. So it's not that they just hold no value, but it's that it doesn't consume his thoughts. And, and that was so convicting walking through this chapter to me because my thoughts are so consumed so often by so many things that if I desired to think about the things of God, it wouldn't be that nothing else ever came to my mind, but it would be the things that I have elevated to utmost status would all of a sudden fall and they would find their rightful place because I would dethrone them in my thoughts. I would dethrone them in my heart and we could spend that time focusing on what that looks like to know God. We, we alluded to this last week, but, but we're going to just delve into it for a second tonight to reiterate the point. How can one know about God and godliness without much knowledge of God, without much knowledge of Him? You can know about Him without truly knowing Him. We talked about that we can have knowledge for knowledge's sake, but we can also know how to live and not practice it. Did you know that? Did you know that there are people that can know how to live, but they don't do it? For, forget spiritual, forget morality for a moment. But let's not forget morality for a moment. Let's talk about you. You personally. Have any of you in here ever known the right thing to do or the moral thing to do? You knew what was right, but you didn't do it? Somebody... I think the answer is probably yes for everyone in here. I grew up, there was a lot of things that were no doubt what I was supposed to do. I knew lying was wrong, but I lied. You know, lusting is wrong, but you lust. You know, that there are all types of sins and issues and everything else that enter your mind, and you know they're wrong. That's not an issue, but just because you know they're wrong doesn't mean that you're not going to do them. Have any of you ever gotten a report from the doctor and they told you to do something different and you knew that they weren't lying? Like, if you really want to be healthier, you ought to lose some weight, you ought to exercise, you ought to take this medication, but do people do it? Mm-mm. So the problem's not not knowing what to do, it's not doing what you know to do. Well, if it's possible for us to know what to do and still not do it, it's also very possible for us to know about God or godliness and not practice that. So when we say practice, I think we've gotten so, there's this, and, and I think it's dangerous this dangerous level of, of almost mysticism that's entered the church 
where people think that somehow it is unspiritual to have disciplines when it comes to godliness, that it's supposed to all be just a feeling, that it's supposed to be an emotion, that it should just come naturally. And what I would tell you is, I don't know any godly people that that's how it came. That the people that want to know God and walk with God have worked for that. That doesn't mean that God didn't work in them, but it is that they worked for that and wanted to know God and did those things. Um, I, I love how Packer takes the book of Daniel and he looks at the life of Daniel, the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he talks about characteristics for, for people that truly know God, that, that really what it looks like for that to be lived out, not just someone who knows about God, but if you read the first few chapters of Daniel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of these guys obviously had background. They knew about God, but when they were thrown into a foreign culture, they were going to figure out very quickly whether or not their knowledge of God was going to come forward in actually how they acted and how they behaved. And there's really four characteristics that jump out out of the book of Daniel that, that you see in these lives. And, 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 and first of all, number one, it's people that have great energy for God, great energy for God. When you look at, at, at Daniel and you see what he did and, and you, you remember they come and they've got this edict and he comes and he says, look, I'm going to have a different diet. I, I don't want to eat what y'all eat. I'm gonna, I, I've got a diet that, that I want to eat. I want to train differently. I, I want to live differently. I, I, I want that to, to be this energy that, that came from God. I really believe not that... Not that we need to look like we have ADHD when we're running around all the time, but I truly believe that saved people ought to have an energy about themselves that you are actually living upon, right? You've, the Holy Spirit's in your life, so you're excited. That doesn't mean that you're bouncing off the walls. That just means that there's a general excitement about the things of God and living for God. That's obvious in the case, in Daniel's case. Um, number two, uh, there are people that think great thoughts about God, great thoughts about God. In Daniel chapter 2, you, you, you see that when they declare who God is, when they testify in Daniel 2, when they talk about the person of God and the work of God, it is that they have great thoughts of God. This is really as, this might be as practical and simple as anything I know. If you want to know whether or not you know God, and that, what that looks like, then the question ought to be, how often does he come up in your life? How often does he come up in your family's life? How often does he come up in your conversations? How often does the God and the things of the Lord, how often are those things brought up? Because if you have great thoughts of God, you're going to express that. And that's obvious in, in these four men's life. Um, number three, um, Obviously, they have great boldness for God, great boldness for God. I mean, you can remember Daniel's over there, and they tell Daniel, they set him up. You remember the story. They, they, they make this edict where nobody can pray, but to, to anybody else, they set up this statue, and, and everybody's supposed to pray, but Daniel continues to pray, continues face toward Jerusalem. He continues to pray to the Lord, and so they, they get him, and they, they don't want to punish him, but so they give him a chance, and, and they say, listen, you know, just, just, just don't, 
don't bow down in, in, in prayer to your God and, and, and bow down here. And what does Daniel say? He refuses to do that. And this boldness for God comes out, even knowing that he's going to be thrown into this lion's den. And it's, uh, I don't know, I, I, we aren't given an insight into the psyche of Daniel. But when he goes into the lion's den, everything that was taking place, but he doesn't know when he's thrown in exactly what's going to happen. And I love the fact that had he been saved, which he was, God closed the mouths of the lions, that God showed himself as protector and deliverer. Had he been eaten by the lions, he still did the right thing. That's an amazing thing to think about. And one of the reasons we know that is, is, is the fourth point that we make on this is those that really know God, they find contentment in God contentment in God. When we say contentment, I think that's a word that you ought to highlight in your notes. This is the most, the, the least content culture. Nobody's ever content with anything. Nobody's satisfied with anything. Everybody's always wanting more or they're complaining about something. But people that really know God, they find contentment. That doesn't mean they don't ever get upset about anything, but in general, there's a contentment that's not found in circumstances or in situations, but it's found in God. We know that because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember what happened to them. They're going to be taken and thrown where? Into the fiery furnace. Now, do they declare? We have no doubt that we are going to live through this, that there is no way that we're going to get burned up. That's not, that's not how the story went. You remember the story? They said, we know that our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, that's one of my favorite verses, even if he doesn't, throw me in because it's still the right thing to do. And so you remember the story, the fire was so hot it burned up the people that were throwing these boys in, and then they, they look in and, and they see that these Three boys are not only just walking around, but they ask a really good question. They say, but wait a minute, we only threw three in. And I see four. And when you find great contentment in God, what you recognize is that it doesn't mean that all the time are you going to be out of the fire. What it means is that your contentment comes is that even when you're in the fire, that there's a fourth man in the furnace. And that's what it looks like, really, when you see actively what it looks like to know God. And so, so that, that brings us up to, as we develop this, how do we understand about prayer, our prayer life and what does our prayer life tell us about a true knowledge of God? Um, what, what does it look like? Um, when, when you look at Daniel, especially in, in chapter 6, verse 10, you find that it and consuming the word are absolutely critical. Um, you look at it, and if you're taking notes there, you, uh, um, and you go to Daniel chapter 6, um, you, you'll see that there in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Y'all have to give me a moment to catch up too because I'm playing, I'm playing Bible drill while you guys are. Um, in Daniel chapter 6, um, verse 10, it says this, now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Prayer. We've talked about that over and over again. 
but there's something that needs to undergird all of our prayers, a, a, a basic assumption or faith about who God is. Daniel 4.25, all of this comes straight out of the book of Daniel, but in Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, this is the, the truth, the central truth about God taught in the book of Daniel and really throughout um, the entire biblical record. But Daniel 4.25, uh, um, when, you, when you find yourself um, and, and you're, you're reading about what, what happened there to Nebuchadnezzar, and you get to verse 25, and it talks about him being driven away from people and living with the wild animals and eating the grass like cattle and being drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times you will pass by you, for until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives to them, to gives to anyone he wishes. The theme of Daniel is that God is sovereign or that God is master or that God is in control over everything, including the kingdoms of men. When I really understand that about God, it frames everything else. I can find contentment because I know God's in control. And so we know that. And so over the course uh, of Daniel's life and these three friends' life, we know that, that knowing God really affected not just what they did, but but how they reacted in certain situations, that they went into it without hesitation, even if others saw it differently and even if other people refused to stand with them. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about polls and how God's doing in the polls and what people think about Jesus. Someone who knows God is absolutely fine for it to be them and God and everybody else be on the other side because you know if you're on God's side, you're in the right. You know you're on God's side, you're where you're supposed to be. Um, so that leads us then uh, to number seven, and it's a really important, a really important question. If you're going to know God, truly know God, why is knowing God the basis of genuine personal peace? When we talk about peace, as people people are looking for it all the time, we hear about world peace and what that would look like and how people can find peace or people aren't at peace or people are searching for peace. We know in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it tells us this. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is absolutely no peace apart from knowing God. But if I know God, all of a sudden I recognize that if I'm at peace with God, I can be at peace with other people that are in my life. I can be at peace with circumstances. I can be at peace with my situation. I can be at peace at church. I can be at peace at school because internally I know that me and God are right with each other. So I, it's almost humorous if it wasn't sad what we hear about in our day about people trying to find this peace and we're praying, uh, hoping that everybody finds peace and everybody finds contentment. And you can search for that your whole life, but if you're trying to find it in something other than the Lord, there is a reason that God doesn't allow people to find peace outside of Him. And the reason is, is because I truly believe that when we talk about the soul, 
when we have the a biblical understanding of the soul, it's that God placed a God-sized vacuum inside the human heart that he knew that you could pour everything else you wanted to into that. You could pour drugs and alcohol into that. You, you could pour relationships into that. You could pour money into that. You could pour power into that. You could pour positions into that. But the hole never is filled. And so the reason for that is because God wants to send us to a place where we can't find peace, contentment, or true satisfaction until it's found in him. So I know in God is the basis of genuine personal peace. So number eight, if you really did want to know God, what are two things that are non-negotiable that you have to do if you want to know God? And the first one is absolutely non-negotiable. And it's pretty simple. The first thing you need to do is recognize how much you don't know. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been saved, how much you've studied the Bible. That should bring you to a place, the more you grow in your knowledge of God and your knowledge of the Word, you shouldn't ever get to a place where you're like, I finally arrived. I think the more we study, it sends us to a place where it's more it's a humbling thing before the Lord to recognize Man, I'm I'm not I'm I'm just getting it, or I'm just scratching the surface, or there's just just some things I'm just starting to understand. How many of you that have been saved any length of time? If you're here and you're not saved, I'm glad you're here. But some of you in here have been saved for a long time, and you've been saved for a long time, and then after having been saved for a long time, you discovered something spiritually. Either God revealed it to you, or it came out in a sermon, or you read something in the Bible, but God, God showed you something, and you were so glad to have received it, but you were also kind of ashamed that you had never understood it before. Have you ever had that happen? All the time. I'm going... And, and sometimes I think it's doubly worse for me because sometimes I feel like, man, I really should have known that. I really should have had a better understanding of that. I really should have grasped that. But I have to remind myself, I'm so thankful, and, and, and God keeps doing it. Do you know one of the great things about you know, getting to preach and getting to preach at the same place for this long is I, I can't. I can't just rehash sermons all the time. I've been here so long. Like, if you move every few years, you don't have a right to write a new sermon. You just go somewhere for three or four years and then move somewhere else and get your sermons out. But, like, I've been here so long, I have to keep every Sunday pre uh, new ones, new ones, new ones. And every now and then we'll hit a passage and... Colossians 1, I've never preached through Colossians, but I had preached one sermon in Colossians on the uh, part of the supremacy of Christ on some of the verses that we had used. And wouldn't you know it, I'm standing outside the other day greeting people, and all of a sudden, Bill Wallace comes walking out the front door, and he's got his Bible, and he said, you preached part of this in 2008. It's 2023. Uh, he said, I've got it in my Bible. He said, but, you know, I'll let you slide every 15 years. It wasn't the whole sermon. It was just this one point. And we had a good laugh about it. Like, But, but, the, but what I was going to share with you about that is this is how I know. When you get to preach for especially in the same place for a long time, you look back sometimes and every now and then you pull up a sermon that you preached 5, 10, 15 years ago and you look at it and you study it again and you go, oh man, 
There's so, so, so much here that I didn't see before, that I didn't understand before. That doesn't mean that God wasn't moving in you the first time. That means that God is continually opening up new things. Sometimes your soul's not ready to grasp it all or your mind's not ready to comprehend it all. That's a beautiful thing. And so we understand that we're humbled by that. And then number two, if you really want to know God, this is ought to be pretty, pretty basic, but you seek the Savior. You, you seek Jesus. You, you look to Jesus, the fourth man in the fiery furnace, and you look to him and you think about getting to know him. Jesus is 100% God, but we know also Jesus was 100% man. And when we say have a personal relationship with God, it's personal. And the older you get and the deeper you get to know God, you realize that, that He relates to us and He talks to us and we have real relationship. And if you want that, you've got to seek it. I've, you're learning this as, as well as I am. You know, a lot of you know, when you're younger, man, friends and relationships are pre-programmed. You know what I mean? Like, you go to school and you got a group of guys you play ball with, you do stuff, like, that's who you're with. You're, and then you're with them that whole time. Then you go to college, and it's a little bit different, but it's kind of narrowed down. But you still got this group that you're kind of in the same life stage with. And then all of a sudden, you get to be 30 and 40, and man, these people that we walked around like singing friends are friends forever and the Lord's the Lord of them and we're, you know, we're always going to be tied. I hadn't talked to those people in 25 years. I, I'm all for them. I'm not even on Facebook. I don't even know what they're doing. I hope they're doing well, but I don't keep up with them. And that's not because I'm mad. That's because life took me a different way. And what I figured out is, is that if you want relationships at our stage of life, you've got to work at them. Like you've got to, you, they don't just come natural. You, it takes more effort because you've got family and a wife and a church. So if you want to have friendships, if you want a friend, you've got to be a friend to somebody, right? Well, if you want a relationship with God, you need to pursue Him. You need to want to spend time with Him. You need to get to know Him. And you need to open, even though He already knows you, allow yourself to be known and open up in a way that all of a sudden you begin to see that there is growth that's taking place. We're going to continually seek to know God and get to know Him more and more. I'm, some of you are reading this book. I hope it's been a spiritual benefit for you. Even if you're not reading the book, I pray that as you come and spend this time in Bible study together, that it will continue to benefit you. One of the things that you're doing is a great way to get to know God. That is to be in God's house and to be around God's people. It's pretty simple. It really is pretty simple. That is integral to having a good relationship with the Lord. And I'm thank, thank you that you're here. I want to pray for you. I'm excited. We've got almost 20 brand new members that are right across the street that are waiting on me right now. I'm going to go over and spend just a little bit of time uh, with them and, and get to share their testimony. You, you guys feel free to spend some time in here and visit and fellowship and certainly make contacts. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in here with your people. I thank you, Lord, that you let us know you and that you allow us to know each each other. God, I praise you tonight and ask you to move among us, to create a heart in us that desires to know you more and more and more. And Lord, we love you and we give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.